0: The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Town Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Dirkytown, please visit our website at www.dirkytown.org. That's D U R K E E T O W N.org. The third letter of John, um, Jesse, would you hand me that folder that's right there? Thank you. Came yeah, just that would be embarrassing. Probably I, I would miss it. And then, yeah, all right. Uh, good to have you home, by the way. It's, it's always good to have my son home. Um, timely that you were home, so then, yeah. Zeb wouldn't have to do it, so there you are. <laughs> you, you knew, right? You knew it was going to happen. You knew I'd forget something. We, um, we began Third John last week. Uh, And I gave you two reasons that I'm preaching 3rd John. Uh, The first reason, of course, is that we wanted to see if the priorities that were written about by Luke on the day of Pentecost and subsequently right after Pentecost, if those priorities remained. Sixty years now later, John is writing uh, to his friend Gaius, who he loves in the truth, and to the church uh did the priorities remain did the church continue to be strong not perfect right not perfect but did it remain did it remain strong and um we we saw last week in the theme of truth that it was holding fast to truth but we said there was a second reason we wanted to take some time in this letter and that is that john is writing a letter to a church much like our own church uh People that attend church, people that have a life and they interact with the church. There's uh, hardships in the church. There's things to rejoice over in the church. And uh, the priorities that are found in you know, the Pentecost church in Acts 2 continue here in 3 John. And then as we pull that forward, we need to ask, are they continuing here? Are, uh, are, we, are we a church of truth? And as we're going to see today, are we a church of truth? A church of love. And you know, it it does appear to be from the apostolic writings that the matter of truth remained a priority, not without struggle, right? There There was a pulling away from the truth, we know that. And Paul and the other apostles, like John, write about truth extensively. Paul tells the church that she is the pillar and buttress of truth. And we have to hold fast to that truth as well. But truth cannot stand alone. Truth cannot stand alone. It must be accompanied by love. And the reason that love matters is quite simple, and that is because love is a subversive force. L- love undoes things. Uh, probably the best example of this, and it'll stretch some of your memories perhaps, but Bambi, you know that, remember that Disney cartoon, uh, cart- was that a cartoon, but a movie Bambi, And and somewhere in there, the animals are all getting together because they all got what? Anybody remember the word? Twitter-pated. They got (laughs) Twitter-pated. It got undone, right? I mean, you're going in one direction, and then, you know, oh, wait, what's that over there? And then you start going in that direction. Love has a way of doing that, right? Love has a way of subverting things, of changing things. It's a dynamic. It's a force. But when God's love is poured out... It subverts the powers. It undoes what death had done. And and we need to remember that in the garden, perfect love was poured out upon Adam, upon Eve, and all of the perfection of the garden. But then sin enters in, and the deception of sin, and death and destruction come. But God doesn't just expel his man and woman from the garden and, and just leave them to die. He then comes to them in love. And love continues to flow. Love continues to come. And love in that regard then begins to undo what death has done. And I want to make clear to anyone who's listening, wherever and whenever you might hear this, that you are invited into that love through faith in Jesus Christ. And when you come into that love through faith in Jesus Christ, you come into life. I mean, real life. So truth and love are a dynamic then that when they come together, they produce life. And then we are helped to live in that love through the Spirit who empowers us to overcome our former life of death and sin and destruction and then to walk in new life with God. Because when God saves us, He doesn't just leave us as orphans, He comes to us, he has poured out his spirit upon us. And so in this way, when we come into the love of God through the truth of who Jesus is, life, eternal life comes to us. We are in that life with God and it begins to undo the old person and the new person arises out of that filled with God's love and then we are ushered forever into a life of love and truth with God for all eternity. This is the simple and yet amazingly profound reality of the Christian faith, that we are brought into a life of love with God, rooted in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now we know uh, that God is the embodiment of all truth, and yet he is the embodiment of all love. And these two realities that are not at all contradictory, they, they actually complement each other and we need to learn this from uh, how the triune God both is full of truth and full of love because ultimately we are to speak the truth in what we are to speak the truth in love so truth on one hand doesn't stand alone love doesn't stand alone love and truth come together perfectly in the triune God that is poured out upon us the church who then are to go forth in truth and love and to show forth the salvation of God in the space that we inhabit, wherever that might be. You know, Not just here in this building where, where truth is held in high regard, but you can sit there and be loveless, right? I mean, no one's going to call you on it. You can be loveless, but then you really don't know the truth. Or you can just be all full of, oh, I love everybody, but you don't know the truth. You're not really in the body of Christ. And in this regard, then truth and love come together. And when they come together, then we are demonstrating the truth and love, the reality of the triune God. Last week, we, we read rather extensively from John's gospel about the matter of truth. I'm not going to do that this week. I just want to take two examples. About how John tells us about uh, God's truth and love being made manifest then in Jesus. The first example, it'll be completely familiar to everybody. For God so let's see, it wasn't a trick question. For God so loved the world that he kept everything to himself, right? He kept his son to himself. That's what he did. No, right? What did he do? Ray, right? he gave. He gave his one and only son. That whoever then believes in his one and only son, that's the truth, comes into what? Life. Everlasting life. So God doesn't save us and say, well, that's nice, now just go live, die, and that's over. He says, no, I love you here, and I'm going to love you for all eternity. I'm bringing you in to myself in a life of love, rooted in the truth of who Jesus is. But then in the first letter that John writes, he says, in this was manifested the love of God towards us. And I love that word manifested. It has to do with like pulling the curtains back and looking and there it is. It's made known, it's revealed, it's, it's obvious to everybody. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Who is us? We sinners. We sinners who needed God's love. What is manifested? Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. There's the truth about the purpose and reason why Jesus came, but then that truth continues on that we might live through him. Christianity is about life through Jesus. You come to Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. You come to the truth of Jesus. You are a sinner, you need a salvation. You come into that salvation, you're brought into the life of love with God through Jesus Christ. And you need to think about that. And we, you know, Baptists tend to be oriented towards thinking about truth, but you need to feel it. You need to feel that truth. You need to feel it because truth is with love. And as love is felt, it subverts then that kind of passive Christianity that so many practice or that judgmental, christianity too many people practice and we get back to the way god loves us in truth with love that brings life you've got to feel this and rejoice god is the complete embodiment of truth but he's also the complete embodiment of love which means that he acts with love rooted in truth you see this from the creation around us right that that in creation god in christ then reveals himself, then in recreation, he brings people out of death, he brings them into life. When I wrote this earlier in the week, I should have checked the extended forecast, because here's what I wrote, as we enjoy the height of a beautiful spring, and I'm like, oh no, it's cold and it's rainy, we got people camping, and they are just not miserable at all, they're just, you know, happy to be in the cold rain. If they're listening, they're going to, yeah, right. Um, But regardless of the weather, regardless of the circumstances around us, regardless of the way that the world is trying to dictate things, we are brought into God's great love. Just ponder that for a moment. You are not just brought into truth, cold truth, left to your own, you know, cast out into the world somewhere. You are brought by truth. Into love, which gives you life. And this is how God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has revealed himself to us as the love of God is poured out upon Jesus. As the Spirit of God working right now in your, in your ears and in your mind and in your heart to draw you in, to wake you up and say, God's love is here for us. It's here for us today. And it produces life, everlasting life. Life that flows out of God. Trinitarian love does not force us. It frees us. You are freed right now to love. You don't, you don't have to sit you know, inside yourself any longer. You can actually love. I remember I said this a, not exactly a year ago, but sometime last year I was thinking about um, we extroverts who suffered so much in the pandemic because, you know, we just need to be with people. That's how we're energized. You want to give people a hug, a handshake, pat them on the back or roll around, whatever. You know, you want to just be with people. And I, and then they, all the introverts are like, oh, this is paradise. <laughs> like, this is the best life could possibly be. Let it, let it continue on. And I, I remember saying, listen, the Bible doesn't know those categories of extrovert, introvert. The Bible knows be filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we extroverts need to sit down, shut up, and leave people alone and think a little bit. Like, just push the pause button, ponder. Filled with the Spirit. You know, spirits lead extroverts sometimes to shut up. I know it's hard to believe, but that he does. But then all those introverts think, oh, this is just great. Now I don't, you know, I can just, this is great. No, you got to be a Spirit-filled person. Who pushes you out then beyond your boundaries? Because ultimately, love isn't about self, because love frees. Trinitarian love does not force us, it frees us, it doesn't cripple us, it empowers us to love God, it empowers us to love ourselves, it empowers us to love our neighbor. You know, one, uh, one of the effects of the pandemic has been. Um, not only uh, depression and mental health issues, uh, but ultimately suicide. Suicide rates are, are growing, increasing. And uh, we need to pray about that. We need to be in people's lives. We need to take care of each other, not only physically, but also emotionally in, in good and helpful ways. But Jesus frees us not only to love God, not only to love our neighbor, but actually to love our own self in the best possible way. And so often we forget about that. That the Spirit of God is within us to care for us and to make us to make us whole. Can you imagine that the church has been buried with Christ in his in his in his death? And that we've been raised up with Christ in his resurrection, that we are now, right now, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and we are invited to join God in his great mission of truth and love that brings life to subvert the present powers of darkness that are all around us we are empowered to do this we are made free to do this and as we do this we bring people into life into his life i would say then that if truth is the named theme in john's third letter because truth shows up seven times in 15 verses love is the unnamed theme of john 3 You remember what I said last week, third letter of John written some 60 years after the birth of the church at Pentecost. And we wanted to track to see if truth remained, and it appears that it did. But did love remain? And if you read this letter, like you might read a Pauline letter that has a lot of commandments to say, do this and do this and do this and that's love. What you really have here in the third letter of John is a portrait of love. You have the fruit of truth, which is love. You, you have love not so much as a command, but love is on display. And so the, the love that you read about in Acts 2 and that you know, latter part after Pentecost and the church is together, they're together, they're eating together, they're praying together, they're unified together. And everybody often says, oh, wouldn't it be great to be back there in Acts 2 you know, with those people on, at Pentecost? Yeah, sure. But it'd also be really good to be here with Gaius 60 years later, in a church that knows the truth, and because they know the truth, they love. So a church like ours that holds truth for a high premium has to hold love at a high premium as well. Is the portrait of our church love? Now that's a tough question to answer. We felt it better when the room was full. When there were so many people in the church afterwards, you couldn't get to all the people that you wanted to talk to. We felt it better then. And if a season of growth is to come again down the road, I don't know, that's in God's providence. We certainly pray it will. But that doesn't give us an excuse to love less or to ignore love. We still hold truth at a high premium But we have to learn again, I think, to hold love at a high premium. We don't want to just take our cues from what love looks like on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, but also from these very personal letters like the one John has written to Gaius. And John has this focus on the fruit of truth, which is love. He paints this beautiful portrait of love, which is evident then because the truth of Jesus has been received. And the subversive nature of love then is undoing things in people's lives and freeing them to love. Should we hold fast to the truth? Yes. Oh, but I I beg of you, don't let go of love. Don't let go of love. This is what I mean when I say that love is all over the pages of John in this third letter. Look how it's expressed in generosity and hospitality. Verse number five, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. They've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for what for the truth you see how john brings love and truth together apparently emissaries were sent by john to this church he's now writing to gaius and he's saying uh, those those uh, emissaries were strangers to you you didn't know who they were but they showed up and you brought them in in a relationship of love. You were not only hospitable to them, but you were also generous to them. You cared for them. And I think again about the effects of, you know, uh, social distancing and not being able to have free movement and all those things, just how easy it is to fall into patterns where we're not generous and hospitable one to another. Where our hearts aren't open, so our homes aren't open. Where our hearts aren't open, so it's much easier just to walk out the door. But generosity and hospitality go hand in hand as truth and love is expressed within the lives of God's people. And again, the, the Bible doesn't work in categories of extroverts and introverts. It works in categories of be filled with the Spirit so that you um, put on display, you make manifest the love of God through generosity and hospitality. Love is in view then when John tells Gaius that he intends to deal with the problem that Diotrephus is causing. Verse number nine I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. And so this matter of authority is also an important part of truth and love. And again, in, a, in, a, in an age that now isn't so much anti-authoritarian, although I think it is, it is that everyone's an authority. I mean, every, I say that, you know, like everyone, but you know what I mean. Like You, you can't, like you can't, everyone thinks they know. Everyone thinks that they're on the inside. Everybody thinks that what they read or think, you know, that's, that's the authority, you better follow it. And John says, you know, there's this guy in your church, Diotrephus, and he's working against truth and love because the church is wanting to bring in these, these, uh, these, these visitors, these strangers, and Diotrephus is acting like, no, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, we're not gonna do that. And he's causing a disturbance. And what he is actually doing is he's working against the way God has expressed love and generosity and hospitality. It's not a horizontal problem. It's a vertical problem. And so when we we don't hold love in high regard, we're not only saying something about ourselves, but we're saying something about God. When our hearts are closed up to one another, and, and, and I say this carefully, I really do, because I, I do think at the present time, there are those who have a legitimate reason for not being out in public. Their, their health issues are such, or maybe they're shut in and they can't. But then not only in our church, but I know this is widespread, there are people who are just taking advantage of an online church because they just, they don't want to come. Well, I mean, it kind of placates their, you know, their, their, uh, their mind to say, well, I can just, you know, watch or whatever. The church is the place for gathering of God's people. That is the authority of the Scripture, and the best way that we demonstrate a high view of truth and a high view of love is when we do this, and we are that beautiful portrait, beautiful portrait of love. So you've got generosity and hospitality, you've got authority, and then you have this very personal uh, expression of love that John gives. He calls his friend Beloved Gaius, there in first number one, and then he, he says to, to, to him at the end of the chapter, I want to see you soon. I want to see you soon. Uh, Jesse, we'll just tell this little story, Jesse and I, well, Jesse concocted a little ruse. It was a, it was a righteous ruse. Hey, Dad, I want to come home for Memorial Weekend. Do you think we can surprise Mom? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm all in that. We can surprise Mom. And Mom didn't know that her oldest was coming home until he walked into her classroom at school on, uh, on Friday. And, ah, Jesse, you know, she couldn't believe it. And she's just been so happy for the last, because she's always happy, but she's especially been happy for the last few days. Why? Because she didn't have to see her son over a monitor. Face to face. We were talking to our kids in Canada yesterday. I'm just saying, I'm so sick and tired. of, But that's what you got to do because we can't cross the border. But oh, the church is called to be face to face. And whatever inconvenience it might be, whatever hardship it might entail, the church is called to be face to face, one with another fellowship. This is, what, this is what John says. Oh, I want to come to you soon. I, I don't want to just write letters any longer. I want to talk to you face to face. And we're going to talk about these three things over the next three Sundays. We're going to talk about a church that is struggling a little bit on the love meter. To have open hearts again of generosity and hospitality one to another. We're going to talk a little bit about a church struggling with authority, the authority of the church in a time where everyone's in authority. You know, I was saying to a few friends of mine, before you hear me on Sunday or after you hear me on Sunday, you can dissect everything that I have to say simply by going online. This is what this person says. This is what this person says. This is why, well, Pastor's all wrong. That's not how it works, folks. You are here under the authority of the church. I'm not saying you don't read and listen, whatever it might be. but I'm saying you commit yourself to the authority. So we've got to talk about authority. Again, not so much in a time of anti-authoritarianism, but in a time where everyone thinks they're an authority. What does John have to say about that? And then we're going to talk about what does it mean to be face to face in community? You know, the simple thing right now is for me to kind of like lay down a few laws or rules or whatever and, oh, here's how I can make you a more generous person or here's how you can be more loving or whatever it might be. But you know what we really should do? We should just pray and ask the Spirit, right? To take the word of truth and to examine us. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me, O oh Lord, in the way that is everlasting. We should take time to examine how are we receiving the truth about Jesus? How are we receiving the truth about God's love and hospitality to us? Is that changing us? Is that subverting our natural tendencies to selfishness or to you know self-protection or to just like wanting to be alone all the time? What's the Spirit doing through his word today? If we are going to hold truth at a high premium, may God give us grace to hold love at a high premium as well. I saw a t-shirt recently. It said, I'll fix it with Photoshop. And I thought that was a clever, a clever little thing. You may not know what Photoshop is. Some of you may not know. But Photoshop gives you the ability to take a picture and do with it basically whatever you want. It's used a lot in ad campaigns. They don't want people with blemishes necessarily right on their magazine cover, so they Photoshop a little bit of weight off of them or a little more muscle tone or whatever with their hair or their face or whatever. The funnier ones are when they add an arm and then forget to take off an arm. (laughs) Like a first guy, (laughs) three arms. Uh, Some people in Florida uh, were were, uh, upset here recently because school officials Photoshopped uh, pictures in the school yearbook uh, to make uh, the girls appear to be more modest. And uh, the people were outraged. They were outraged, I tell you. They were outraged by it. Um, I just want to remind you something that God doesn't Photoshop us, God is always going to go for inner heart transformation. Divine triune love doesn't just work on the surfaces of our lives. To make us appear to look better, it subverts the deep darkness and it undoes what death has done and it brings life into us. Divine Trinitarian love will never Photoshop us for the sake of some temporary religious ad campaign. This is what God will do. The truth and power of divine love poured out in the crucifixion of Jesus as the Lamb of God slain for sinners, is meant to change us. And if that's the truth you believe, then you should be asking those questions. God, am I still being changed by that truth? Am I growing more and more and more into the image of God in Christ? If our discipleship or if your discipleship is oriented more toward a Photoshop session with God, Hey, God, take care. i got some smudges. God, you know, I want my hair to be as gray. I've got some blemishes. Take care of it, God. You really need to rethink your discipleship and offer yourself more fully. You need to turn. You need to repent. You need to ask God to deliver you because it will only be as we turn to this massive love of God poured out upon us in Christ, that we will experience truth that will actually change our lives, and then we become a portrait of love. And Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples. When what? When you love each other. Let me pray. Father, I do ask uh, for your mercy to be over us. Uh, We are struggling a lot um, as a congregation and it can be confusing. And it can be difficult. But with every struggle, it opens an opportunity for truth and love to pour in and to change us. And then to rest content with what you are doing, O oh God. This is why love matters. And As we come before you at the table, let us reflect on how truth and love perfectly embodied through the death of our Savior Jesus that frees us and empowers us. And I ask, oh God, that um, we would be strengthened now by grace poured out. And as we are strengthened, we would be determined to go out and live in accordance with that grace. We're going to give you an opportunity to think about these things before we come to the table together. You pray quietly before the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkee Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkee please visit our website at www.durkeeTown.org dot org.